Hey, Anita, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry. Every once in a while, I'd be, when I was out of town, periodically, I'd remember, oh, I got to call Anita. And then it's like, I'd get home and have to catch up on all my work with clients and notes, et cetera. And it's like, then I, it would slip out of my mind. I'm so oh, sorry. You don't have to be sorry. <laughs> I am so excited. I, I mean, I ha I've started a podcast in 2018 called Milkshake Monday, and yeah, you told me, uh huh. And this right. year we are expanding the platform to add another series called Milkshake with a Side of Fries, and I am interviewing. And I said the very first person I wanted to interview was Mrs. Diana Lee. And when you <laughs> said that you would do it, I was over the moon, excited, and. I know we had some time, but I said, I wanted to, I, even if I had to do audio, I wanted to get our interview first before I scheduled anyone else. So I am grateful. You don't have to be sorry about anything. I am so excited. Um, some people don't know who you are, and I just want to introduce you before I ask, ask you a few questions that... Um, the reason why I had Milkshake with a Side of Fries is because I wanted to find people that I knew in my life that had had really a purposeful, hopeful, love of Christ message for many years, decades, and and that I trusted with my heart and the person of you and your husband, the late William Lee, that I was 14 years old going to see a movie, Chariots of Fire, and little did I know that you would be the woman that would share the gospel in such a way that I would accept Christ and my life has been changed forever. And I hope that um, my witness for Christ will give you many crowns and many jewels in your crown when God sees you uh, one day. So I thought of you and the first person, you have to be my first person for my interview with for Milkshake uh, with a side of fries. So that's uh, the setup for some of these questions. You, I know that you have been a teacher and the life I met you with, but I wanted to kind of introduce you and probably learn a lot of things myself about your early years. I mean, I met you as a child, but you had a husband and I think Nathan was already born and you all were in this ministry, but how did your early years of your foundation for your salvation story, what actually happened there? Well, I grew up in a family that attended church every Sunday. We fortunate enough to live simply two doors up and across the street from the church that we attended. My, my mom and dad and all five of us siblings attended the uh, majority of our life until we moved away after college. So that it was a Bible-believing uh, church. It was a Wesleyan church, and um, that's what gave me the foundation. And my parents were ones who... As, no parents are perfect, of course, um, but they lived a lot that was real to Christianity, um, and they made sure not only that we were at church every Sunday, but they were also. My dad was as much a, a part of the church as my mother, so that just hugely impacted me and my siblings. Interesting, interesting. So when you actually became a young woman, went to college, you went to college for education. Was there something in teaching that really moved you? 
Um, yeah, I, I wanted to teach in secondary field of education, um, English and history. Those were subjects that I enjoyed, and I just found them easier to um, teach and to be able to um, put in a form that hopefully would be interesting uh, to the kids. So is that where you met your husband in education? Yes, we were both, we both attended the same college. It was my first year, his second year. He was a music major. I was an education major. We were both in the college band. I was a French horn player and, and he was a trombone player. Of course, he was a music major, so he was much more proficient um, than I was. But that's how we met our first year. And then um, at the end of my first year and his second year, unfortunately, the uh, small liberal arts school, um, it was sold to become a community college and it was originally a liberal arts four-year school when we attended and as a result of that all the students in the college had to transfer to other schools so i ended up going to jmu and uh bill ended up going to shenandoah conservatory of music but we continued dating um through the entire four years of college and um, once i graduated from college bill had already moved to loudon county and accepted a job as a, a band director at loudon county high school and then i um, accepted a job as an english and history teacher in loudon county and so we got married right at the end of my college uh, graduation and uh, started teaching and moved on from there. You know, I teach or I don't I do do teaching sessions with on relationships and with a lot of college students. And some of the questions that we get is timing. Is there somebody who's a soulmate? Those kind of questions. And I now I share with them uh, that I really would like them to take a pause before rushing into marriage because it is a commitment, especially if you don't know the Lord. In your case, you and, and your husband knew the Lord. So that was a part of what may have been your initial connection that you both at least had the foundation to know who the Lord was. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I knew that I would not date someone who wasn't a Christian. And I can remember one of the things that impressed me about Bill before I knew him really well was that he had um, he attended church every Sunday from college um, and went with friends. And he sang in the church choir, again, being a music major. He was a very good vocalist as well as an instrumentalist. So that, that impressed me and showed me uh, something about his character. And that makes a difference, especially when you get yeah. into a lifelong relationship that you share a love of Christ. And then you all were in education. So how did it transition that your purpose in your life went from being married and then something happened? What, what transitioned to have you all start Your House Incorporated? Um. I probably about my fifth year teaching, it would have been Bill's sixth year teaching. I just... I just felt like the Lord started knitting together um, a vision in my heart to start a ministry for adolescents. I knew from teaching adolescents, um, even that many years ago, back in the 70s and 80s, um, teens still struggled with, of course, always self-worth, very common, uh, peer pressure, problems at home, deaths in the family. Um, Suicide wasn't as common then, but I'm sure some of the families and some of the teens had experienced that in their families, but also drug and alcohol issues. So 
I just sensed that teaching English and history for me wasn't enough. Hmm. That we needed to be able to reach the whole person. And so it's sort of a vision I kept in my in a heart for probably about seven years. And eventually I shared it with Bill. I, I waited until, you know, it was consistently there. Um, and we were introduced to a local ministry, which was part of a uh, uh, an actually larger ministry, but it was happened to be in Loudoun County called New Life for Girls. And it was a drug rehab program for women. And the directors of the program found out um, that we were teachers and we were successful in our teaching and um, of the Lord and they were looking for someone to a couple to take their place as being the director of New Life for Girls for the Southeast Regional Center, which happened to be in Loudoun County at that point. It has since moved, um, but at that point it was in Loudoun County. And so they knew us through being foster parents to some of the girls' children um, who went to New Life for Girls. The girls who were drug addicts and alcoholics could not have their children in the program with them. So the directors had to find families in the community who were willing to house the um, girls' children until they finished uh, the first phase of the program. And so that's how we started taking some of the girls' children and met the directors, got to know them well. And um, once they felt called to go into a larger ministry called uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, um, they uh, asked us if, if we would take over their position. So after much prayer and trepidation, especially on my part, Bill was more ready than I was, uh, but even though it was my vision, uh, <laughs> but he grasped onto it quickly, and uh, he was ready to leave and sign off and, and go on, and I was hesitant because I knew I had seen how difficult it was. We had to live in the program, and it was a 24-7 program, um, and it, um, it, it was just very difficult. I knew it would be hard, and so I just sort of struggled with the Lord over that night of they came to ask us which was a complete surprise on our part except that bill and i had prayed we had fasted and prayed for probably about two weeks and asked the lord if he wanted us to leave teaching and go into some sort of ministry that he would literally bring somebody to our door and ask us and that is literally what happened we didn't know the Jim and Judy Isom, the directors of the New Life for Girls program. We did not know they were leading. Um, they had not told us, but they literally came with pizza one evening, knocked on our door and said, told us that they were leaving and asked us if we would consider um, taking over. So um, that was a direct sign from the Lord. So obviously overnight I sort of struggled in my mind with the with the Lord about that, and uh, but I knew that's what He had called us to do, and that He had answered our prayer. So I obviously gave in, and we became the directors of New Life Girls for about three years. So that, that that's New Life for Girls, but how did it right. transition to Your House Incorporated? I I should have told right. the audience what was Your House Incorporated because I kind of said it, knowing that I knew it, but but I'm glad right. you're telling the story. So it, you went from this place. Uh, of new directors for that and then it transitioned to something else. Right. Um, yeah, actually, 
The vision that the Lord had given me was for a program called New Life for Girls. That's just sort of the name he put on my heart. There was a, back in the late 70s, 80s, there was a song that a popular gospel singer by the name of Evie Tornquist, I think she was Swedish originally, um, saying called uh, Meet Me at Your House. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was the name that I suggested to Bill once we left the drug rehab program. I knew that wasn't going to be a long-term career for us um, because at that point Nathan had was born and it was just too difficult um, with having a young child and being on call 24-7 and having um, girls in the facility detoxing or you know, having different moments that made it very difficult and sometimes not terribly safe. Yeah. So we left that and um, then the Lord just put us in place in different places and so we could get this the ministry going called Your House Incorporated, um, which was the original vision, I guess the Lord had given me, of really helping teens know who God is and that they could have a relationship with him that was very real and powerful in their lives. So we started that and um, incorporated that, uh, formed a board and um, started with a few teams. I don't exactly remember where and who the, uh, where we were, except in Leesburg uh, or whose house we met in, whether it was ours or somebody else, but we would meet in different families' houses um, each month we would change homes and um, just share the gospel and uh, teach the teens, you know, to sing praises to the Lord and share prayer requests and um, go on trips and activities, um, you know, to have fun times with them as well. You know, what was interesting as I listened to you, I'm reflecting and part of Milkshake with a Side of Fries is to have reflection and wisdom for the future. I realized that when Apparently one of my cousins, Anthony, had gotten in trouble and Mr. Oblas, our dean, talked to a parent and they said the children don't have anything to do and they find themselves getting into trouble. Therefore, you know, it would be great. And he ended up getting a lot of names of people, me included, and my a lot of my relatives in the school at the time. And I got my first piece of mail basically from Your House Incorporated in this, I think it was red. It was something very unique that came in the mail and it was my first piece of mail that came to with my name on it. So that was the wow. And then my mother's, I was reading it cover to cover my first piece of mail, you know? Um, (laughs) And so I'm reading it and it said about, it had a bus or some picture of a bus and saying that was a movie and it was free as long as we could get to a certain place in Leesburg. I don't know if it was Safeway parking lot, but I brought it to my mom and asked her, could I go? And I went, I don't know if any other relative, I don't even know if my cousin Lily went with me, but I know I got to go and I was excited to see Chariots of Fire in that movie. It was so powerful, but that still, even though I was part of a church, I did not give my life to the Lord. I'd been baptized, but I was playing church at that point. And um, it's just phenomenal to think that of the trips that you all had, uh, many of us had never been to the beach. We hadn't really spent a lot of time with white people outside of school. We were on the bus and after the bus where we live, we were out in the country. So we didn't have a lot of interaction myself with um, people of different cultures. So to go on a trip, hear about Jesus and go to the beach and campfires and songs and all the different activities, it was, it was really life-changing. But like I shared with you, I think um, you talked about house to house. 
I was uh, I was young at first, but there was a young girl, the Crop family, and her mom uh, opened her living room to you all, and I felt strange going into a house I didn't know. But then finding out the house was one of my fellow students that I knew. It wasn't just the house; it was this person's house. I was like, "Oh my God, I'm sitting on her floor." <laughs> I don't even think she came, but but I remember you teaching us out of the Gospels that night and sharing that you know, basically about the story of Christ and that it's important for us to make sure that we know for ourselves about that relationship. You weren't speaking about religion. And that's the thing, as I think in the 1970s and 80s, and even now in the 2000s, if we, even from your perspective, I'm curious to know the youth today aren't hearing a lot about Jesus from the relationship. They seem to be taking things from the social media and distortions of lies that Satan's putting out about mysticism and spiritualism, but they're not hearing the word of God and the love of God in a relationship. So I'm curious to know, even from that perspective, um, what you see as a challenge for how do we get the message to the youth in a different way. I don't know if it's a different way, but it's a different environment than it was in the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. Culturally we're in a completely different environment. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just talking with a parent today whose daughter, um, is now 20 and, um, has been wanting to transgender, um, for a couple of years, a lot of issues in the family that obviously have created discontent and, that is something that obviously in the 70s and 80s, Bill and I never had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, there was still, you know, um, same-sex attraction then. That, that's been around forever, um, but not the transgender. So I think culturally, it, it is a different world. I still think, though, that the approach is very similar to what it was even in the 70s and 80s, that the, the teens, the adolescents, young adults, still need to see adults that love Jesus have a joy in their life, regardless of the hard times, um, and just understand and have teachings that teach them how to have their own relationship with Jesus so that they can get through the tough times in their lives. Um, So in that approach, I don't think it, it just has to be a genuine love for God and Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit, I think that is no different. I think obviously the way the maybe the teens and the young adults would be approached with activities, different activities, obviously that's probably changed to a certain extent, except a lot of the churches that have large youth groups still have the beach trips and um, ski trips, et cetera, because teens always need activities as well as um, teaching uh, about Jesus. So I think in a lot of ways, it's very similar. I just think that the people who are sharing with teens have to be more aware of the cultural issues that today brings. Right. I, I remember I always noticed that, I don't know, it probably was the Holy Spirit, but as a young girl, seeing you as a wife and a mother and a minister of the gospel at the same time, you may not have been called a minister officially, but you were ministering the word of God and the love of God. And there was always that twinkle in your eye of joy. I'm going to be teaching on Milkshake Monday about the joy of the Lord is my strength. But I think as a young woman who lost myself, who lost her father, it was something to see you and 
I call it, I will forever call you Mr. And Mrs. Lee out of respect and love, <laughs> but to see you two together and to see you be young parents. And I don't think I, being a former pastor's wife, I don't think that people even appreciate that in ministry, there are challenges. They see, yes, you put on taking a young, a group of young people to this trip or that trip. But I saw, because I came from a single parent home after my dad died, I knew sometimes about financial struggles. So I could see where you all were pinching, like my mom would pinch, you know, you're trying to make ends meet, but other people who didn't ever came from that environment probably didn't know or didn't even recognize, but I could tell you all were sacrificially living what, what my family would call paycheck to paycheck, or just making sure that you had your needs met. And sometimes things did went undone, but not, not to the cost of us not getting what we needed in a spiritual manner. And I, I always was very grateful to see that and appreciate it to know that even though you were sacrificing, you did it as unto the Lord. And I didn't know when the Lord would bless you, how he would bless you. But I always was very uh, grateful that you were willing to sacrifice for us and for the many people that don't come back and say, thank you of the 10 lepers that came back that were cleansed that, you know, you may have a few of us that say we recognize and we appreciate it. Um, now here's a question for you. Um, there are people on the outside of Christianity, young and old, who ask this question sometimes, is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ really worth it? And and I'm going to caveat that. A lot of people present Christ as a fire hell insurance, but from your perspective, having the decades of the relationship part, could you share what having him in your life has meant to you, especially in the seasons of your life? And even both you and I will talk in a minute about we're in a season of life where the person who has been closest to us is no longer with us. So I'm curious from your vantage point, uh, has the relationship for Christ been worth it? And can you kind of expound on that? Um, yeah, I, there's no question. I, I guess because I've been to church my whole life and I just, easily i guess accepted and i really never doubted the veracity and the authenticity of the bible um and i guess it was because again in my household and my parents there was an automatic respect for it and they had the same attitude towards the scripture um so for me um i think just having that as my foundation helped me get through all the the difficulties that every teen has as they're growing up. I grew up again in a very solid family. My parents uh, both lived, um, you know, until later ages. So I didn't have an early death like you did in your family. Um, but there, there are always struggles in life, um, self-doubt, self-worth, even with knowing the Lord. And that's something that we know we have an enemy in Satan, and he's always trying to put doubt in our minds as to who we are and our worth and our value and um, our, even our relationship um, with God. Um, so having Jesus in my life just helped chase those doubts way more readily. Um, I think that we, Bill and I were married for about eight years before our first son was born. And then five years later, we had another son, Jeff. And um, I, at that point, um, after being married for eight years, um, different people would ask me, well, do you 
want to have children? Do you want to have a family? And I said, oh, yeah, of course, I'd love to. I came from a family of five kids, and um, it was always a lot of fun. Uh, and, of course, always a lot of competition as well. Um, but I, I never doubted that I wouldn't have children, um, but it, it took eight years um, of marriage before we actually, Nathan was born. And it was a very difficult birth, um, unfortunately. And so it, it sort of affected my ability to just want to jump right in and have another child. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Lord blessed us again five years later and we had Jeff, who is also in ministry. Nathan is in medicine and um so I definitely through those stages of life, but also financially, depending upon the Lord, you know, not knowing when Nathan, um, I'm sorry, when Jeff was an infant, he became uh, critically ill, deathly ill, actually. He was only a week old, and um, he was transferred to Children's Hospital in D.C. from Loudoun, and we weren't sure if he was going to make it through the day, the night, et cetera, and, mm -hmm. um, until they figured out what the, what the blood infection was that he mysteriously had. And we had, in, we had insurance at that point. Um, but insurance of course, wasn't going to cover a lot of the expenses. He was, he was in ICU pediatric, uh, um, care for a couple of weeks. Um, but the, you know, we just prayed and said, okay, Lord, first of all, his life is the most important thing. And we of course prayed for the Lord just to begin to heal his body. And even our pastor at the time, I can remember him coming to the children's hospital to visit me. And uh, he said, you know, Jeff is not out of the woods yet. And I knew that in my head, but in my heart, I just sensed there was a, a, a peace mm -hmm. about whatever God decided to do. I could submit my will to that and it would be okay. Um, and uh, fortunately, of course, the Lord did um, answer that prayer of healing. And Jeff um, came home from the hospital and is now in ministry himself. But um, and financially, again, there are always... Um, issues because in ministry you never get paid a lot of money <laughs> money is not your focus right. but of course we have we have bills just like everyone else and and occasionally we would like to take a vacation or <laughs> to do something that maybe is not extravagant but just as as well to enjoy life but I, I think that um, I've just seen the Lord time after time like in the medical expenses when Jeff was in the hospital, answer those financial needs just miraculously. Um, we would get a check from somebody um, when Jeff came home from the hospital um, for a guy who we knew in another ministry had collected money from his staff for $1,000. And another Bible study sent us money. So it was just incredible how the Lord just provided financially to get all of those finance, those medical debts paid off. Um, that's one of the ones that comes to my mind. Um, and I know there are many more. It's just, uh, that's just the most uh, probably prominent one that I can think of at the time. What's interesting to me is I just taught about Abraham having Isaac on the altar. And it made me think that with our children, there are times that the Lord uh, Faith, our second child, Albany was my first child, but um, Faith went into ICU and we were told that she would have 96% um, mortality rate because she breathed in the meconium before they could pull her out. And so uh -huh. her lungs filled up with the meconium and they were barely able to keep, have her breathing. But 
uh, my husband, my late husband, prayed, and God had uh, told him that she was going to be okay. But the the actual NICU doctor said, um, Mr. Helm, I want you to understand that your daughter is gravely sick and basically preparing him to share the news that she's probably going to die. And right. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to trust God. And it made me think about right. Jeff and, and Faith. My daughter's name is Faith. And that, <laughs> you know, in the midst, you have to give it over to the Lord because these children right. are a heritage from the Lord. And he allowed the child in our wombs to be growing. And for those who have lost children and those in our case where God has allowed them to live, there's a level of gratefulness because you know that he could have said, no, it's not my will for that child to live. And we had to still go on with that pain as some parents do. But um, praise God that we both have a testimony of his grace. Um, I was going to ask you about Nathan and Jeff and how it's been to be a grandmother in in that phase of your life. What do you think? How do you think about that? It's, I see you going back and forth very actively working and you're also being a helper as a grandmother and you have grand, you have daughter-in-laws now. How's that been? Uh, well, it, you know, it's certainly an adjustment when you, your sons become married um, because obviously the, the primary person in their life is, should be, should be the, is the wife a hundred percent. And that has never been a problem for me. I never felt that problem with Bill's mother, nor did Bill feel it for my family as well. And so for me, it was a transition, of course. You no longer have your sons in and out of your household as freely, and they're, they move to other areas. Um, but it obviously has been wonderful to have them married and have children. They each have three children. Nathan has um, a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a six-year-old, um, two girls and a boy, and Jeff has a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and um, a three-year-old, and so two boys and a girl, and so they're, they're absolutely wonderful. They obviously uh, keep you really busy, but it's just it's just wonderful to see the next, another generation, not the next generation, but the next, next generation, the generations now um, coming up and their parents taking them to church, sharing um, Jesus with them, praying with them um, and teaching about God individually. Nathan's in medicine. He's a surgeon and um, he takes the time when he's home, when he's not at the hospital working late, um, to pray with his kids before they go to bed and usually read the Bible story with them. And they go to church again every Sunday. Um, occasionally, of course, Nathan is working on Sundays, but his wife uh, takes children. And, of course, Jeff is in ministry, so his children go automatically as well. And um, he has the opportunity to teach them even in uh, more depth as far as his knowledge goes he has his doctorate of ministry now so he's spent a lot of time in education as well as Nathan in different fields and um, he has an opportunity to teach them a lot about the whole history of the Bible and in depth about uh, meaning the meaningful parts and um, so but it they're still raising children who are normal children and, and they <laughs> exactly. have normal, normal challenges you know <laughs> so well, they have an extra challenge because as a preacher's kid, I mean, yeah. Nathan and Jeff were your husband's kids and you all are in ministry. So they have a spotlight on them from that perspective. I mean, we love Nathan and Jeff. I didn't meet Jeff so much, but uh, Nathan, you know, he was like our little, our little baby. <laughs> 
Right, right. We didn't have the little little brothers like him, but he was like the little baby that we just passed around from arm to arm when when you weren't home and you were having it. But um, there's a lot of pressure sometimes when you are, I mean, Jeff's kids, like you said, all of them are normal children. And we had two girls and we tried to just be ourselves, whether we're in the house or out of the house. So you didn't put on airs to be something you're not. And you weren't putting them in a position to act like something that you're not. None of us are perfect, but Christ. So that makes a difference. Right. Well, yes. you know, us, you had the situation. I was shocked. And of course you were shocked when, um, uh, you found out the news about the accident with your husband. Uh, so how, without going into the details of the accident, how was that? Um, I, you know, it's the earthquake of our lives. I don't know how to express it, uh, very articulate, but, um, to become, uh, you were married and then you're in a situation where you're now a widow. How has that been for you? Um, um, obviously when it's a, a sudden accident, um, Bill did not die right away. He survived the accident for 31 days mm. and then uh, passed away. And, um, so the initial accident was, of course, shocking. I was on my way home from work, and um, when I heard, I got a call from Jeff. The police had been trying my phone, but I hadn't picked it up um, because in my work sometimes there would be calls that I couldn't pick up at the time, and I was driving home as well. And so um, Jeff called me, and I picked up as I got home, and he told me that, that Bill was in the hospital and might not make it through the night. Mm. And so, of course, it was <clears throat> completely shocking. Um, but I'm very grateful that we had the 31 days. A lot of people do not have that. Um, he wasn't able to respond to us, to talk to us. He was intubated um, the entire time, and he had had uh, seizure, major major seizures, a result of the accident, and. Um, had extensive injuries, obviously, um, so we couldn't hear from him, but we could talk to him and we could pray with him. And um, when I wasn't there, I would often, you know, put um, on his phone by his ear so he could hear over the breathing machines. Um, different at that point, it was like Christmas season, Christmas carols, and the Hallelujah chorus, and um, and just different Bible teachings. And um, so that was a, a comfort to me. I had to do the same thing. I know that you had to do, and um, I had to do when Jeff came through, just as you did with your daughter. I had to submit my will to God's will and say, God, I would. We want you to heal Bill and bring him home, and I'll be willing to care for him, no matter what state of being, physical or mental um, being he's in. Um, but ultimately, I don't know what you are going to do. You're going to take him home or whether you're going to allow him to come home. And obviously, the Lord took him home to be with him. And, um, you know, so just preparing for that, um, that knowing that there was a good chance he wasn't going to make it. Um, and then when it happened, and I guess my first thoughts were when we, I got to the hospital. He, I had just left the hospital three hours before he passed away. He, this was in Richmond at this point. He had been transferred to another place in Richmond from Loudoun. And I just, just wondering, Lord, well, how does this happen? How do you transfer us 
our soul from this earth to your presence. How is that happening, Bill? And knowing that when Bill enters the presence of God, he wouldn't want to come back. I mean, that is the perfect place. That is where, that is our real home. This is a temporary tent, basically, that we live in here. So the joy that I know he feels, but again, no pain. He's without the pain. He had had a stroke a couple years uh, before that and had some ramifications, ongoing ramifications from that, knowing that he was well. He was seeing the God that he had served for the first time in a way that was unhindered by the human body. And so that was just, and that still just amazes me in thinking that that too will be my destination one day. And um, it's just, it keeps me hopeful and keeps me from being sad or depressed um, because I know this home is only temporary. It's not our real home. We are on our way to heaven, those of us who do know the Lord. It's interesting that you you shared about the, we always used to hear people say there's no more crying, there's no more pain, but with with my husband, uh, he had had a stroke in 2010, he died in 2021, but at the end he was suffering and going from doctor to blood tests and kind of thing, and then the comatose phase in the hospice for about 20 some days. Um, what I, I, I just had the two year anniversary for him, uh, August the 2nd, and I wrote a blog recently said no lament because I thought of him, I, I get to hear his teachings on YouTube and Facebook, so I saw a video that came up and I smiled, uh, Mrs. Lee, because I did think that very thing. I said, he's in the presence of the Lord and with William, uh, my husband's name was William as well, he, mm-hmm. He loved the Bible. He loved to teach it and to read it and to read commentaries and hear preaching from other people to fill them up. And so to think of him not in any pain, able to walk and hear and do whatever he can do in the glorified body that God gives him and to be Uh in the presence of the most high God and to see the believers in Christ there. You know, we both understand the word of God. There's no marriage in heaven, but to know that our brothers in Christ are with the Lord and that, like you said, this is a temporary tent and we're going to be there and in joyful presence of God for what we you know, we're just here for a temporary time to uplift Christ and to glorify his name. And um, I know you're doing something. You you have some care that you're doing for your work. What What is your work now? You've insinuated a couple of times. What is it that you do for your work now? Um, I'm a mental health counselor. I, I do work for a, a secular organization, but fortunately, it's not a county-run organization, it's a private organization, but fortunately, we're able to share the Lord with any clients who are willing or wanting to listen as we um, help them on a weekly basis with the mental health ch- challenges they have. And mental health challenges are usually very severe. Um, there's the schizophrenia, schizoaffective, bipolar, bipolar with psychotic features. So these people are struggling with not being able to think clearly. Um, 
unless they have certain medications and often counseling to help them with emotional stability. Um, so it's very taxing. Um, all my clients are have had psychiatric hospitalizations, which means they've either been suicidal or homicidal. So at the level I get them, um, they're in need of weekly care oversight to, to for taking medications for, again, mental and emotional stability. And for those who are willing to um, be taught of the Lord or who have that relationship with the Lord, I can encourage them um, in that way. But it's very difficult for them because um, thinking clearly is an important part of living well. Um, as Christians, as well as just people in our culture. It's interesting that you speak about that. Um, even though my husband's been with the Lord for two years, um, the because of, we were exposed to families in the church or neighbors or adults and children, you, you, I still get um, people still reach out because there's still a stigma regarding mental health. And so they come to people they feel that have some experience with the Lord and knowledge of, of mental health. And so I get the calls for those parents who have children that don't want to be medicated or often on the medication for whatever the, um, issue may be and uh -huh. the problems of adult parents with adult children who the children are not children in the eyes of the law or uh, they have to make those decisions to be on their own medication or if they get into situations with uh, the law enforcement and you know their danger to themselves the danger to others the financial stress of it the emotional stress of it and um you, you share with them to try to get their medical providers to get them medical care. But now we're finding out that there's so many people going through the struggles of the mental health after the pandemic. It was a trouble, a right. struggle before the pandemic. The pandemic right. has just accentuated the situation and the lack of professionals involved. And I, you know, even with Milkshake Monday, I teach about the Bible in the context of sharing real life situations of how the Bible can help. And then I find people reaching out and it's like, and I share, I'm not a medical professional. I have been with counseling with my husband for marital and all these different situations. And I'll say I'm not, <laughs> but sometimes right, they sure. have nobody and you feel like right. you can't let them go down that spiraling circle of whether it's depression or the bipolarness or this, uh, the parents pulling their hairs out and just, we know right. we struggle with doubt and 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 hopelessness sometimes but we turn our heads back to christ and turn our heads back to the truth and some of these people they don't really know the lord or right. they they're just in that infancy phase and this is just taking them to a turn that uh and it's you see it every day and i remember you talking about the new life for the girls and substance abuse and all those things and i've seen it in my family i've seen it in my friends i've seen it in church members or people that just know the Lord and, and God will bring them to you. Just like the, the items came to your door. There are times where I think I'm, God will send me down a path and I think I'm just going to grocery store, Mrs. Lee. And I'm 15 right. minutes talking to somebody that I have no knowledge of, but God has brought them in. And I just, and you're having this conversation where you're giving them some level of hope, 
Just, just, right. just trust. If you go to God, yeah. go talk to your pastor, go talk to your medical person, and and you just see right. a lot of hopelessness because right. like, Satan really wants to take a lot of our young and old people out because yeah. of the mental health and people, right. like you said, suicidal when they've never been given the foundation of knowing who the Lord is to them, other than He's somebody to bash you. Not somebody to love you who's loved you in spite of knowing all of your sins. He demonstrated that love and he, Christ came. They've never heard that. All they've heard about is him being that judge. And so right. they don't even know that they can come to him for a source of help or comfort or just light. Because they're in right. such a darkness. And I, I tell you, I, I try not to... I, I, I tell people, you need to go to your medical people. You need to go to yes. the counselors, stay with them, go to inpatient, do a 30 day rehab, do a, you know, care, get that constant care right. because you're at that point. And sometimes they just don't want to let go. And right. I was like, that's the only way that you're going to get the grip of that chemical imbalance right. out of your head and that depression and that isolation. And it's like, Lord have mercy on their souls because right. Satan wants to take them out. And they're like, still yeah. killing the still killing destroy right. is exactly what he's trying to do in the mental health. That, and I praise God that someone with your heart and your sensitivity to the Holy spirit is there doing that work. And that some, like you said, your organization allows you to speak to them about that. And there will be those yeah. that may you're, they're there because you're there to share them, uh, the gospel of Christ. And boy, I am so elated, excited, and thankful to God. You know, I kept wondering how you and I were not connected. When I first got lost, my, oh, I shouldn't say lost because we know where our men are, <laughs> our brothers are. But when I this transition happened, I said, I want to talk to Mrs. Lee. And it's like, it never would happen. And it happened tonight, I said, I think because God said, this is the time. It wasn't the timing, but this is the time. And I am so grateful that you allowed uh, me the opportunity and the people who will listen to to me, your wonderful testimony. I, I just want you to know I love you. I have loved you all of my life. And I have always thought of you in a motherly fashion for the woman that allowed Christ to use you so that I could know Christ. And that that... I don't know how much to tell you how much you truly mean to me and your husband meant to me. And um, I just know that God is using you now and he's used you in the past. And sister in Christ, you're just so wonderful. And I just want you to know you're loved. You're loved. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, You're just one of those wonderful offspring of the wife time ministry that is just incredible that Bill and I have the honor to be a part of your life. Um, if he were here, he'd be thrilled um, to hear your 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 words of testimony of uh, your experience with YHI. You just you're, you're doing a wonderful job, and I have listened to not all, but some of your podcasts, and they're just incredible. And uh, spreading the gospel is always appropriate. It's always timely, and you're just one of those who is always appropriate and always on time, just as God intended. Thank you so much. I love you. I love you. I love, I love you, you. And thank you so love much. You thank you so much. Okay. God bless you. You too. Thank right. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.